0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati Podcast, where we dive into emerging technologies that will impact the world and your bank account. I'm Thomas Fry, and I'm bringing you a solo episode tonight. My co-host, Trent, and I are futurists, keynote speakers, and consultants with decades of experience in analyzing trends and communicating new developments to audiences around the world. Reach out to us at futuratipodcast.com, slash contact hyphen Futurati if you'd like to hire us for consulting to speak at your event or to advise on your on our podcast. So the episode tonight was absolutely fascinating. Um, Emery Gunselman is a a truly uh, fascinating gentleman who uh, recently got into the space industry and has uh, absorbed just a huge amount just in the past couple of years. Um, And give us a real unique insight into how this industry has evolved and how they got started, and how they're focused on not manned missions or launch vehicles or any of that, but um, more about kind of the, the operational side of things and how how they uh, they can control things with their go-to uh, operational system. This is uh, this is a, a unique episode, and I think you'll love what we have to talk about here. Tonight we are joined by Emery Gunzelman. Emery is a former astrodynamics engineer, and is currently a satellite operations product owner at Morpheus Space. Morpheus Space is disrupting the new space industry by introducing agile constellations of fusion between cutting-edge electric propulsion and artificial intelligence, which enables satellite service providers to operate entire constellations as one entity. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. And don't forget to check out our website, FuturatiPodcast.com. Emery, thank you so much for coming on the show. Let's hear a little bit about your background, your interests. Emery, thanks
1: for coming on our show. Hi, Thomas, thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad to be here. Now, Now, you're talking
0: to us from space now, is that correct?
1: I wish. No, I'm I'm currently in uh, El Segundo at uh, Morpheus Space at at our office here. Um, But yeah, one day, maybe uh, I'd like to podcast from space. That'd be fun. All
0: right. Well, can you fill our guests in on kind of the history of Morpheus Space and um, how you ended up there and uh, what, what you're hoping to accomplish?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, Morpheus Space was kind of spun out of a research project uh, over at a a university in Dresden, um, Germany. Um, It's been probably over a a decade now that that research has been going on um, for this propulsion technology. Um, We do electric propulsion um, for satellites. And um, so in 2018 was uh, when we kind of initially launched as a company and we actually put one of the first um, FEEP, field emission electric electric propulsion systems up on a CubeSat, uh, in space and then perform, performed a collision avoidance maneuver. Um, and since then, um, you know, the origins were out, uh, out in, uh, Dresden in Germany. And since then we've actually, um, created a new office in, uh, Los Angeles here. And, um, that was around, I think 2020, 2021. Um, I actually graduated, um, university in 2021 and, um, after graduating, I was kind of just, um, exploring, you know, different space startups, especially in the Los Angeles area, because this is a, uh, pretty massive space hub, you know, in the world. Um, a lot of new companies popping up all the time around here and some of the massive primes, you know, have been here for a long time, SpaceX is here. Um, so this is just a really good scene, um, for the emerging space industry. And um, I'd reached out, you know, to Daniel Bach, our CEO through LinkedIn, um, got in contact with our previous president, um, Ishvan Lawrence. And since then, it, w- it was history. I started out as an intern and then I came on as a full-time hire um, and, yeah, started out as an astrodynamics engineer. Now I'm, I'm doing more just full comprehensive product development here at Morpheus. Um, and yeah. uh, it's, been, it's been quite the journey, yeah. Yeah, so how big a company is Morpheus? How many people? still relatively small. So uh, on the US side of things, we've got like 10 to 15 people. And over in in Germany, we've got about 30. So overall, like less than 50 people still. So what's your primary mission then? The primary mission of Morpheus Space is um, essentially to accelerate the growth of the space industry through being a leader in in space mobility. so our our core kind of uh products set around in space mobility so anything to do with moving satellites in space whether that be through the hardware like our electric propulsion systems or through software that helps to augment the propulsion system and then even enhance the capabilities beyond what just traditional hardware can do through um, software so um, doing maneuvers in space doing mission design and mission planning um, just essentially making it as intuitive and easy as possible to do any kind of in-space mobility.
0: Um, so your goal is not to shoot up astronauts, so you're not climbing into spacesuits or anything, and you know, no lasers at each
1: other or nothing like that. Yeah, no, not not quite yet. Maybe one day um, we'll expand into other realms of uh, kind of space mobility, but uh, we don't focus currently on any launch vehicle. Um, things like that, or orbital transfer vehicles, or interplanetary propulsion, mainly around Earth-centered, LEO, Mio, GEO, um, orbital maneuvering is, is our main... Okay. So who who is your main client then? Um, so we've got a bunch of, of different ones, um, but one of our our, our biggest ones uh, that's public is, is uh, Spire, is, is one that we provided propulsion systems for. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so... Um, now you, you have this go-to system, uh, what's, what's the unique features
1: on this go-to system? So the go-to, what's, um, pretty special about it is it's built around one of the most efficient, uh, propulsion technologies in the world. Um, like I was mentioning before, FEEP, it's field emission, electric, electric propulsion. Um, and that's a form of an ion thruster. Um, so it's, sounds kind of sci-fi for most people that are. Familiar with you know chemical uh, traditional rockets you know we've it's basically controlled explosion um, very high thrusts you know coming out of those typical propulsions but they're not very efficient um, and especially for the way that the space industry has been trending towards miniaturized satellites like cubesats that are very small traditional chemical propulsion is not always the best option um, especially if you're trying to do certain things like orbital maintenance very precise maneuvering or. Um, adjusting your satellite's attitude or or orientation it's just not always the the best option to use Uh, so that's where electric propulsion comes into play Um, and ion thrusters specifically FEEP um, essentially what happens is you've got a a solid uh, metallic uh, propellant and that gets heated up um, and then you apply a voltage and due to that voltage an electric field gets created which then um, you know, if you've got a certain, maybe a needle in this case, um, the propellant can then get accelerated through that electric force, um, and ions are spit out through the back of the thruster, um, and that provides the, the force. And it's very efficient because you get a very high velocity from those ions being spit out, but you don't necessarily get a lot of thrust um, because you're not moving a lot of mass compared to chemical propulsion. So... It's a bit of a trade-off where you don't necessarily get where you want to go very quick, but it's very efficient so you can do, um extend your mission lifetime considerably compared to a chemical propulsion will where you'll run out of propellant a lot a lot quicker. Um, so you can potentially have missions that are dynamically changing due to maneuvers for um multiple years up in space instead of Okay. Potentially de- deorbiting in in less than that. So
0: um yeah do you you ever have the mission to uh pull a satellite out of space and drop it into orbit and uh
1: burn it up yeah so that's one of the great um things about our propulsion system is that you know due to the exponential growth of the amount of satellites being put up into space there's a lot of space debris that's going to continue to gather up there and um in order to mitigate that you need to have some kind of mechanism to deorbit. And uh, one of the best things about that is having an efficient propulsion system where you can still do all of your mission objectives and maneuvers and then still have enough propellant at the end of the mission lifetime in order to safely get your satellite down in the atmosphere and then burn up on reentry. There's also other innovative um, thoughts and technologies out there in terms of doing active deorbits where you could potentially have uh, vehicles that kind of capture other satellites or, or debris up there and kind of forcefully pull them down into the atmosphere. Um, and with that, you know, you'd also need
2: propulsion to, to accomplish.
0: Yeah.
2: Hello, this is Trent Fowler, co-host of the Futurati podcast. One of the most common pieces of marketing advice I've come across is to know your audience and give them what they want. One difficulty in podcasting is that it's actually pretty hard to do this. None of the major platforms give us any way to reach out to you, our listeners, to find out what you enjoy about the Futurati podcast and what you'd like to see done differently. So we've decided to record this commercial and ask you directly to reach out to us. Head over to futureati-podcast.com, go to the contact page, and drop us a line. Tell us about your favorite and least favorite episodes, what you'd like to see us cover in the future, and anything else you want us to know. We produce this show for you, and we want your advice so we can make it even better. Thank you.
0: Uh, are, are you working at all with SpaceX? Uh, no, currently
1: we, we're not.
0: Okay, um... Now there's there's going to be a lot lot more satellites up in space um, very soon with uh, well with the Chinese uh, shooting a whole bunch up and then um, there's a lot of countries getting into the space industry yeah Um, Yeah. in India wants to be a big player Um, I mean uh, there's there's different players in Europe Um, so uh, are you working with any foreign companies at the moment?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, obviously being from Germany, we've got a lot of uh, influence over in Europe and a lot of uh, yeah. partnerships over there. Um, but even as you mentioned, with a lot of other emerging uh, countries trying to get into the space, you know, we've done uh, business as well with um, up and coming and developing nations and and their space programs that um, you know they're trying to get off the ground and and running. So um, yeah, ideally trying to, um, I think space is a, is an industry where it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, super cutthroat and competitive. I think if everyone wins or, you know, it, the, the better everyone does, the more that everyone wins kind of thing, because um, there's certain integral pillars of the industry where if they're not there, they're not successful, then the rest of the industry can be drastically affected. So it's it's one of those things where I think um, the more that everyone, everyone succeeds, uh, the better everyone else does. So. Right, right.
0: Yeah. So, your electric propulsion system really sets you apart then um now does do you have any competitors in that space or they they're
1: using a different technology is that correct yeah so um there's a range I mean so electric propulsion has been around for quite a while um you know there's been research done since the 60s and um, but only until recently has some of the forms of electric propulsion um the technology has gotten to the point where it can be commercialized, especially through Feep, um, like ourselves. Like I said, the uh, the first time a maneuver was done in space with it was a uh, 2018 on a CubeSat. Um, so, yeah, there there is a couple other companies. I mean, Feep is a bit more of a an emerging kind of technology for electric propulsion, but there are other companies that use um, you know Hall effect thrusters, which have been around for a while, um, other elect- electrosprays sprays, and other kind of ion thrusters. Um, but it's definitely a more emerging market and more and more development and cutting edge advances are being made all the time. So
0: okay
1: um,
0: well this is this is this is really fascinating. Uh, I would um, there there seems to be a growing interest to get people back up into space and um, uh, but space is a very unforgiving environment. and so when you add people to the mix, then that changes uh the requirements in such a massive way uh yeah um it's it would seem to me that while some of the plans are to uh create some sort of a colony on the moon or on mars it would seem like the the first phase should be to actually send robots up there to actually build the base and and do all the the ground groundwork uh for having humans come there um rather than to, I don't know, give, give him, uh, an astronaut a shovel and have him dig a hole to, to live. In. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, space is probably actually one of the biggest industries where robotics will, will play a huge, a huge role and will be almost a necessity in order to accelerate, um, the growth of the industry as people see it. Um, I, yeah, as you said, space is a very, you know, inhospitable place and unforgivable. And, uh, Especially with the the amount of uh, proliferation of, of satellites and um, just how at, at a base level, you know, you're dealing with essentially trying to communicate at a computer going tens of thousands of, of miles per hour. Um, it's just a very difficult problem that um, humans can't always just necessarily do. You know, as hands on, uh, you need to have a lot of automation and a lot of robotics in order to accomplish uh, these goals, especially at scale. So. Um,
0: so you're, you have a kind of an insider perspective on things. So, um, when do you actually think we'll get a colony on Mars, Mars or a colony on the moon? And, uh, what's your best? I
1: mean, yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I I hope by 2030, um, for Mars, that might be pushing it. It could be early thirties to mid thirties, but I hope by 2030, um, and then, or at least, you know some kind of base uh presence there maybe not a full colony um and then the moon obviously i think will probably be somewhat before that i mean you know with the artemis program hopefully that all stays on schedule and everything and you know by the late 20s we uh we've got some kind of presence there um and hopefully a a lunar economy you know starts thriving and and that that'll be a, a huge uh base in order to do other interplanetary operations and, and you get to Mars. So
0: yeah, well they can always sell cheese.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh
0: yeah. It uh yeah when you talk about a lunar economy that seems uh well it seems far out but <laughs> yeah uh, yeah but it's probably not um yes so heavy. um now i'm I'm sure you're working on other things rather than just your your thrusters um and I'm, i'm sure that you're um go through brainstorming sessions and you go down different rabbit holes and try to decide on what makes sense and what doesn't um is are there some other areas you could talk about with your company
1: yeah so um besides the thrusters um We've got a, a cloud platform called Journey, um, and that essentially is uh, to provide all the software needs throughout the mission life cycle, um, especially around uh, you know space mobility, but essentially from the early preliminary mission design phase where you're still kind of figuring out your mission and system requirements that you want your, your mission to accomplish, um, and then um, trying to kind of tailor around um, And and refine those requirements into a more advanced mission design product and then all the way leading to operations when you're actually in orbit and doing mobility there um so it's a it's meant to be like a one-stop mobility kind of shop um for um all the needs and just to make it a very um an expedited expedited process because currently you know a lot of of the mission life cycles for satellites it's a year to two years it's it's a very long intensive process and um, ideally in order to scale up, uh, those, uh, timelines need to be shortened, um, exponentially. Um, so the goal is to, uh, make it very quick and easy for people to do what traditionally has been a very complicated and long process and also to make it kind of just intuitive and thought and, you know, visually appealing, you know, traditional tools have been are kind of boring and, and, and hard to use and, um, a very steep learning curve. And so our goal is to kind of just modernize the process and, uh, democratize it if you will um in order to account for just the, the growing demand and needs so. you know
0: i've i've often said that um the the cars that we drive today have actually been in development for the last 120 years so it's taken that long to get to cars that are this good mm-hmm. so we're still like in the space industry we're in the real early stages still so we haven't
1: got 100 years of history yet to rely on um yeah yeah i I like to um sometimes try to compare it i mean i don't know that we'll ever get it to the point where it's like using an iphone but i think that's a a good goal to have is you know currently space to most people is just so far out there and so complicated and uh just doesn't seem like a reality but you know when when someone's using especially you know a device as complicated as an iphone right it's like yeah the pinnacles of human achievements and but there's so much going on there's it's insanely complicated advice but it, yeah the average person it's very easy for them to use it's it's fun to use it's um all that and i don't know if the space will ever be quite that um consumer friendly but at least you yeah, know working towards that i think is yeah. a good goal yeah well keep keep in mind
0: the phone has been in development for the past 120 years as well so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so when. Um, when I was a kid, it was common that everybody had a toolbox in the back of their car because uh, cars just broke down. I mean, that was that was so common, and everybody had to be uh, half a mechanic that drove a car because there's little things to tweak and little things to fix. Now, that's really not possible in the space industry, though. You don't you don't want to send uh toolboxes along well you probably do but i mean if you have astronauts up there but it's it's a whole different mindset when you get into um
1: advanced technology like you're working on yeah yeah definitely i mean even um right that's a huge uh emerging um kind of sector of the space industry is uh in orbit servicing and and uh, even manufacturing up there so um if there is something that breaks down it needs to be fixed that you know, combine that with robotics, then you can easily, you know, hopefully repair something or refuel your satellite rather than just throwing it away. I'm going to redevelop. So I'll be more of a sustainable kind of ecosystem up there. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've
0: heard several people refer to the gas stations and space idea. Um, yep. yeah, it's hard to get the attendance to work up there though.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. The, um, but getting fuel in space is not an easy thing. Um, uh, can you kind of step us through some of the thinking on how that would be
1: accomplished? Um, so, I mean, obviously, um, right, the, the more mass that you try to put in space, the, the more expensive it, it gets. Right. Um, but with the uh, the decrease of launch prices, largely, you know, due to SpaceX and um, other launch technologies, um being improved hopefully that cost continues to get driven down um and eventually to a point where that maybe will be more economically feasible in order to uh bring that many the that kind of mass needed up into orbit um you know and then there's also other alternatives you know like asteroid mining where you you know you can uh extract resources from there where you don't then have to you know launch it from earth or even right the moon and and other other places um So kind of just driving overall launch costs down and and costs uh, uh, across the industry um, as well too, in terms of manufacturing and everything, I think will hopefully uh, alleviate certain burdens and then also open up new opportunities that people haven't thought of before.
0: Yeah, I've uh, read quite a bit about the uh, the space mining industry and how uh, potentially lucrative that can be uh, moving forward. Um, especially finding the exact right asteroid to, um, to latch onto and bring back. Um, that's, that would seem like, uh, such a massive endeavor though. It seemed like, um, because they're, they're not close by. They're, yeah. And you, you have to find them and you have to, um, uh, know, know what's inside of them and, uh, there's a whole lot of details you have to have before you can make it all work. Uh, how close are we to um,
1: actually being able to latch onto an asteroid and bring it back to Earth? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I'm I'm definitely no expert in that. But, um, I mean, there's been many companies that, you know, have tried, and uh, unfortunately they, they've failed. You know, they've gone bankrupt. Um, so I'm not sure if the... Um, the economics or the feasibility of it is quite there yet. But hopefully, you know, within the next decade that that's possible for sure. Um, especially as, you know, we create other bases um, all, you know, on the moon and, and, and other places. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a whole logistics issue. It's a whole, you know, once you're there, that whole mining operation, um, especially to bring back enough material that makes it worth it. And then also um moving all that material again, you know, that's also prohibitive in terms of, um, the mobility aspects, right? Of, uh, the propulsion needed. So, um, it's just a very extensive, um, process. that's not just like one singular aspect of the space industry, but almost combines a lot of it. So I think, uh, the further along that all the different segments of the space industry progress, that will enable, uh, more kind of multidisciplinary, sectors like space mining um because it kind of ties a lot of uh, other independent um set uh sectors of the space industry together so hopefully not too much longer but
0: yeah um yeah the one one thing that i don't think most people realize is that when you had astronauts like alan shepard and john glenn going up into space um Boy, the one thing they really couldn't be is claustrophobic, because they had virtually no space at all to move or breathe, and <laughs> in their their capsules, and and everything's in such confined spaces up there, that um, that it's not not everybody uh, can adapt to that um, kind of stringent environment. Um, so, you you have some opportunities coming up um at, at Morpheus there uh can you talk a little bit about that um what, what opportunities are you referring to in specific um uh I thought you had something that people could apply for
1: oh right um yeah so our our uh cloud platform Journey um we're currently in beta access um so if you just head to um, Morpheus space um you can Kind of take a look over um, our offerings with that, and then also just uh, request uh, access to uh, to access the the platform.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah. So then, then you can. Uh, what does that get you? Then you you get access to the platform, and you can um,
1: you can view things from space. Is that how it works? But, uh, so. Um, currently, we offer uh, two main products on, on the cloud platform: uh, preliminary mission design, and then advanced mission design. So our preliminary mission design product essentially takes you for, uh, through the early stages um, where you can kind you can either choose like a template if you don't fully know um, what what uh, exact mission you're looking for, and um, or you can do your custom mission and input all your parameters that you know about your mission, and then um, we do simulations that kind of go through um, the the orbital um, design and, and maneuvers, and then. Um, After that, we output analytics and other kind of features uh, from the simulation. And then also uh, based off some preliminary uh, parameters, try to match you with certain subsystems. So currently we match uh, users with propulsion systems. And in the future, we're looking to also match them with other subsystems that make up the satellite like uh, communications, power, um, ADCS. Um, So that's our preliminary mission design where um, people try to kind of refine their mission and system requirements. And then advanced mission design is when they're a bit further along in the satellite and mission design uh, life cycle. cycle. Um, And they can input more exact parameters and simulate higher fidelity and just really uh, refine their mission and system and uh, right before they're getting ready to launch. So those are our two products that we offer
2: right now. Are you enjoying this episode of the Futurati podcast? If so, please like it, Give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends. By far, the best way to help us grow is to spread the word on social media, which will expose our content to more people and help us continue to bring you interviews with world-leading experts in AI, quantum computing, cryptocurrencies, and so much more. Thank you in advance.
0: So you're, uh, you're hoping to stimulate a lot of thinking in the space industry then?
1: Yeah. Yeah, ideally. I mean... Well, what's great about it is that um, even though traditionally, you know, they are very complex topics and, you know, there's astrodynamics involved and things like that, we, we try to make it very intuitive and, and very simple for people to use um, very quick um, so that hopefully it accelerates that whole process a, a, a lot more and um, just makes it a lot more fun and enjoyable.
0: Um, well, that's, that's very cool. Um, now, do do you give tours of Morpheus Space?
1: Oh, we do if you if you stop by, yeah, we we'd be more than happy to give a tour.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, nope. You don't have a big sign out there, tours happening at one o'clock, and no, unfortunately not. No um, free free
1: wine at the end of the tour, <laughs> No, but that'd be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll pass that along. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: This this just sounds very cool. I um uh I think. I think there's um, a part of a lot of us that uh, just likes the idea of going into space because we were raised with Star Trek and the the Jetsons and yeah. um, and Star Wars came along. Um, the thing the thing about Star Trek that always irritated me is that so many of their ep- episodes were based on a turf war, and that just seemed wrong because space is very big, and they right. Yeah, there's a lot of space curve, out there. Turf wars in space. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's like just go find another planet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That um yeah, that that mindset hadn't seeped into all their thinking yet. Um yeah, so, so what um and now are we are we really grooming enough people to go into the space industry? Um Training them in colleges. Do we do we have enough of a talent base for uh, what we hope this is going to mushroom into
1: in the near future? Uh, I I mean I think so. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, recently the space industry has seen kind of a resurgence, uh, uh, kind of uh, dawn of, of a new age, a new kind of wild west that I think a lot of people are are excited about, uh, myself including. Uh, so um, I definitely think the interest is there, and seeing. That we're actually kind of doing things again and 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 making what seemed impossible possible, and the pace at which it's happening, I think, is very exciting. So I definitely think we've got the talent and uh, enough of a uh, uh, of a will, and uh, a lot of people have the that kind of grand vision to to per, uh, pursue it. So I definitely think it's there. Um, yeah, I, I've got um, right hopes for the future for sure.
0: All right, how how is how is AI changing your industry and well, how do you think that will evolve over the next 10
1: years? Yeah, I mean, I think AI will... I mean, it is, you know, um, playing somewhat of a role right now, but I think it will play even a bigger role within the next 10 years, definitely, um, because it's an industry where it, it kind of needs to. Um, I mean, the, the space industry has always kind of been on the cutting edge of technology um, by kind of necessitation. Um, but also, um, I think AI... Uh, in order to accomplish a lot of the the growing demands that that the industry is uh, is is having um, AI will be necessary for instance um, the massive constellations that are being put up there's just no way to have uh, a human interact with all those satellites and, and make sure that um, there's no collisions and all the operations are going smoothly AI is by necessity you know needed in order to manage that many uh, satellites um, data analytics that are all the massive amounts of data that's being collected by satellites all the time, um, that's going to need um, AI to process all that um, and uh, many other applications um, it's going to play a huge role in. So, um, I think AI will definitely be a massive part of, of the space industry.
0: Yeah. So, one of one of the featuring techniques we use uh, is we, we talk about first and every emerging industry has a number of of firsts and different different categories um like the first person on Mars the we already had the first person on the, uh, in space the first person on the moon but um, but sooner or later we're going to have um, the the first child born in space and mm-hmm. um, you know, we haven't really got a good handle on what that's uh, what effects that's gonna have on that
1: child and yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure maybe there's been some kind of research done on the ISS with uh like microgravity effects on on biology with but obviously no actual experiments have been uh, carried out with that. Um, it's funny too, because I've thought about oh the the first person that will be born on Mars, so I should be known as a Martian, which is uh, a' fly. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll see. I guess only um time will tell what, what that will affect. But I definitely based off of uh prolonged periods of astronauts being in space have heard that it can definitely lead to uh detrimental kind of long term effects in, in microgravity if you're up there long enough. So
0: Yeah. Um so uh I have a home that's close to Boulder, Colorado, and um we have the National Institute of Standards there. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about it one day that um, once we go to a different planet, virtually every standard that we have in the U.S. or in, on Earth goes away um, be, when you're on another planet. The day-night cycles are different. The weights and measurement cycles are different. Um, maybe you could still use the distance, but I'm not sure it makes sense anymore, um, but virtually everything that we're we're currently used to and uh and I always look at all the sci-fi movies that are out and they say uh yeah I spent 10 days there (laughs) Uh, had to go 12 miles or something like that and and Mm -hmm. none of that's relevant anymore and that's uh, uh I think something that we we tend to forget how different this environment is than every other one that's out there and so uh communicating across the space is um uh, there's huge time gaps that we're going to run into um and so there, the number of challenges are substantial um it it um, and then the the one thing that I don't know. Doesn't ever seem to get talked about at all. as the magnetosphere that we have here on Earth um, that holds our atmosphere in? Is it is it at all possible to create an art- artificial
1: magnetosphere? That uh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I I feel like it, it would be right. I think uh, anything like that is possible. That seems like a massive undertaking um, to do, um, right? Because obviously. Um, we've got a spinning kind of, um, metallic planning that's creating that. So, um, it definitely, uh, maybe somehow strengthen, uh, another one. Yeah. That, um, that definitely seems like a massive undertaking though.
0: Right. Right. So, I mean, that just having an atmosphere that sticks around, that doesn't get spun off into space. I mean, um, the, this, this idea of terraforming doesn't make sense if we can't if you can't hold on to the atmosphere.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or if you've got too much of a atmosphere like Venus and then you're just cooking everything that's all in there. Yeah, it's a very kind of happy medium. Um, right. Right.
0: Yeah. So do you um uh are do you spend your time as kind of an ambassador for Morpheus then uh talking about all the
1: the good stuff you're working on? I'm um, a little bit. No, I mean, I I kind of you know I've I've been uh, around here for a little bit for about two years. Um, so, um, and when I joined, it was a very small team in the U.S. So I've kind of gotten to know the company in, intimately, and kind of grown with it. Um, so I my kind of I spend most of my time, you know, on, on the product development here. But any time that I get to, uh, you know, spread what we're doing and, um, you know put out a, a good vision of, of the future of, of, of the space industry out there, um, I'll take it, you know, so.
0: Yeah, well, it would seem like, um, I mean, we live in a very distracted society. Um, we're very distracted with stuff we see in Hollywood and um, all the conversations happening online and social media. And so it would seem like the toughest thing that you're dealing with there is is being able to focus on your core mission um, because it's so easy to go down these rabbit holes and they seem way more exciting. Uh yeah, if we could just do this, we could we could have so much more fun. <laughs> uh maybe we could get five more clients. Who knows? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, the well, the good idea fairy definitely comes around quite a bit, especially, you know, in the space industry, because there's constantly new and exciting ideas all the time and you really gotta Um, sometimes they're worth pursuing, but sometimes you have to kind of zoom back out and see the whole picture and, and, and where you originally are headed and kind of where, where you want to go and make sure that it kind of aligns with that path. Yeah.
0: So it seemed like the toughest job then for your CEO is just constantly saying no. Uh, Yeah. That's, (laughs) that's definitely a big, a big factor is is to learn when to say no. Yeah. Yeah. you can work on that in your spare time, but don't work on it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That uh, that's that's fascinating. Now, do you constantly go back and forth to Germany then? This, no,
1: no. Um, I, it's very rare that, honestly, uh, our two teams kind of all come together as one. Um, for the most part, in Germany, they're working on the hardware and propulsion side of things. And here in the U.S., we mostly focus on software Along with other like business development, marketing, things like that. So, um, in in some ways, you know, we're kind of distinct in that where we don't often come together. Um, but we still have that kind of core vision and, and core message um, that that we're going after. So,
0: all right. Um, so, so what's what's your vision ten years from now that Morpheus Space is going to be? What kind of company? will it, uh, what will it look like? And, um, I, I'm sure you'll be in charge at that point. So, uh, uh, can you give us that 10 year out vision?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it's hard to predict just in general what the space industry is going to be like in 10 years. Um, right. A lot, a lot of us probably can't even imagine some of the things that will be around, but, um, ideally Morpheus is the leaders, um, of in space mobility. Um, right in terms of also like propulsion technology and the software to enable um so basically full stack mobility in space um and also um basically slowly dismantling all the traditional pillars um that have uh been obstacles you know to getting into space um the fact that it's expensive risky and complicated um you know we'd like to ideally make in-space mobility very cheap you know not not have uh, prohibitively uh, cost uh, propulsion systems have the software um, not be prohibitively expensive either. Um, um, in terms of it being uh, risky, um, you know, a lot of that is because you've got all these objects flying uh, thousands of miles per hour is up there, and so uh, in order to avoid having any kind of damage or risk to your assets, uh, having the propulsion system and and the automation to Uh, maneuver uh your assets away so that they're not at risk um is is a core tenet too and then um make it not complicated you know fun and easy to use um right Right. you're not spending most of the time learning about something um that you only do once and and um it's very uh time consuming but instead it's um kind of developed uh through software and automation that just uh, makes it kind of uh, click of a button kind of an afterthought. So uh, that's ideally, I think if we can uh, pursue our vision of in-space mobility while trying to dismantle
2: those pillars, I think that'd be a great place to be in, in ten in 10 years. Okay. Do you need a dynamic and knowledgeable speaker for an event? Thomas Fry and me, Trent Fowler, are both seasoned keynote speakers, able to converse on a wide array of topics to audiences of all sizes and skill levels. Go to the contact page at futurati-podcast.com to book Thomas or myself today and let us apply our years of experience in public speaking to make your event a smashing success.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I remember in the 1980s, there was a gentleman, Gerald Bull, that was had this idea of having the big guns that would just shoot satellites into space. Um, and so far that hasn't worked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that it has some interesting potential, but I'm sure that there's all kinds of reasons why that doesn't work. But, um, well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, do you have any last words that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Uh, I guess just essentially that um, you know the space industry is a lot a lot of people might not realize, but it's entering a new kind of um, age, a new kind of wild West frontier kind of era um that's very exciting and um if you basically uh at all or, at all are interested in it i definitely would recommend you know getting in the industry because now's the time to to be a part of you know something amazing and um yeah it's a, it's a bright future i think for humanity in space yeah yeah
0: it's growing much faster now um not mm-hmm not this onesie twosie stuff it's growing really fast so (laughs) yeah definitely i i i really appreciate you taking the time to join us here and
1: um if somebody wants to get in touch with you how do they get in touch with you uh i mean so for the most part you could go to morpheus um bat space for our web uh for our website um and uh reach out through there through our business development team um in terms of me personally you know i just i've got a linkedin um but besides okay. that I'm, yeah
0: okay um, that's good yep yeah um all right well i uh, appreciate you joining us here and filling us in on all the li- crazy little details that go into making a company like this work um i wish you the best and uh hopefully hopefully sometime in the future we'll run into
1: each other in space yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, it's a great com- conversation. So, um, appreciate it. Thank you.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.